gather around the lamp and Aston Villa podcast. If at first you don't succeed, come back next year and try again. Aston Villa celebrates the pleasure of promotion to the Premier League. Roll up, roll up, it's episode 21 of the Gather Around the Lamp podcast. I'm Regan, you can find me on Twitter at FindFoy, and I'm joined today by Mark. Hey, what's going on, guys? It's Mark Jarebi here. You can find me at VillaMarkPGH. Hope everybody's doing well. Two games in less than a week, Regan. This feels almost like uh, like it's supposed to be. Some pretty pretty exciting stuff going on in Villa right now. Yeah, we've got a lot to cover. Um, Villa have played Everton and Crew since we last recorded, and I've spent the weekend at Reading Festival, so I'm a little bit out of it still. Um, and obviously the women uh, staged yet another comeback victory on the weekend. Um, but we'll start with Villa against Everton, and it's been talked about quite a bit for various reasons. Um, you know, there was good team spirit on show. Villa Park was absolutely rocking, and you know, it's the first three points that Villa have gained in the Premier League for for some time. Yeah, Villa looked really good, and again, like you said, Villa Park was rocking. It wasn't even the thing of you know, obviously you were at Reading Festival. I'm over here in the states, but you know, just the people that we respect their opinions and we see them post on social media a lot said that it was probably one of the better Villa atmospheres in a very, very long time. Always great to see that. Uh, a few big talking points leading up to the game was Frederick Gobert and, and Hata coming in uh, in the starting eleven, and, and they they looked really, really good. Uh, that chemistry they had in preseason was definitely definitely on display against Everton. There's no doubt about that. Um, Dean Smith got it right. Uh, you know, there was a percentage of the Villa supporters that were calling out for that change, and they got it. Um, yeah, so it was one of those things with Gilbert. He he looked he looked re- really really good, and hope hope it hope it keeps on. Yeah, I mean, you know, they were they were vital in in some of the gameplay. You know, Villa looked really quick on the counter, but I I do think a bit of luck possibly played into into how Villa were playing at times. Um, but you know that the, the two players had had showed their chemistry in in preseason, and you know they showed it again against Everton. Yeah, and there was a little luck involved. Uh, if you actually watched the game back, there were five to six to uh, seven opportunities or so that uh, Everton just couldn't finish. They're creating chances like crazy, and whether it be a block by Tyrone Mings, a block by Bjorn Ingles, you know. Um, Theo Walcott threw one over over the top of, of the net for literally no reason. I, I know small children that could have finished that opportunity. But yeah, I mean, there's there a little bit of luck involved, but, you know, Villa took their chances the best they could. They tried to play fast on the counterattack. That worked out, as you can see by both the goals Villa scored. So all in all, it was a good performance. If they're going to keep up with this bend, not break, uh, I guess, mentality, you know, going up against teams such as Everton, I'm okay with it if it looks like that every week. Yeah, and I mean, you know, Villa started somewhat on the on the back foot, I guess. Like Gil, uh, Gilbert picked up a uh, yellow card in the fifth minute, um, and then you know Everton were pressing pretty hard early on. Uh, Tyra Mings uh, blocked a shot from Lucas Digne on the outside from the outside the box in the eleventh minute, and you know it, it made sure that we, we didn't get off to a bad start like we did against Bournemouth. Yeah, and you can't say enough about that because that's something that Dean Smith has said that um, the team has has played well so far through, you know, the three games in the Premier League season. But it was just 
bad starts or bad opportunities or singular player errors or things like that. And, you know, the, the block from um, Tyron Mings in the 11th minute, you know, that this the game could have went a totally different direction if he doesn't block that shot. Uh, so that's what you want to see. And you want to see, you know, guys putting their bodies on the line. You know, Mings has, you know, had the displeasure in the past couple of weeks of, you know, trying to block shots and then bouncing past his goalkeeper when he does. But, I mean, it was it was good to see him. He, he was immense against Everton. And it, it's starting to be one of those things where Mings is so good all the time that, like, in the event that he does have a down performance or, you know, something happens that, you know, the Villa fans aren't happy with, it's going to come off as a major shock because he has played really, really well through three games now for Villa. Well, if you, if you remember um, the Rotherham game last season, you know, he'd played so well leading up to that. And then, obviously, he was uh, he was sent off. It was a bit of a shock, you know. It was nice guy Mings getting sent off. You didn't really expect it to happen. Um so I think it'll be a, a bit like that if if anything does happen in terms of a bad performance from Tyrone. Yeah, I think it's the same kind of thing there. And, you know, he's he's just like any other footballer. You know, you're going to be prone to mistakes. You know, things are going to happen. You're going to have mental lapses. Nobody's perfect. You know, we don't have robots playing the game. We have human beings that play the game. And Tyron Mings, you know, big personality, big man. He's obviously very, very athletic. And, you know, he knows what he's doing out there. I've noticed since, you know, last season when he came in in January, he's starting to become a lot more tactically aware. You know, some of the – he doesn't always try to, you know, run up in the middle of the defense when he has the ball and try to ping it forward. He's actually, like, getting his head up and looking around and making sure that's the best thing for him to do. So long live that. And, you know, Ty- Tyron Mings, you can't say enough about him. He's, he's a great talent. Villa's very lucky to have him. Yeah, and I think I think we're lucky to have a lot of the players that we bought. Obviously, you know, we, we've paid money for them, so there's there's obviously an element of, of um, not luck, I guess. Um, you know, it's it's good planning from from the the tactical staff. Um, but you know, Gilbert, I think we're we're relatively lucky to have. You know, he's a modern fullback compared to the likes of Al Mahamedi, who is you know a relatively attacking fullback. And Alan Hutton, who, who we've who we've had to watch play play at Villa Park for the last you know three or four seasons, well, obviously longer, but you know, um, but Gilbert played a, a really a really big part in in Villa's first goal and Wesley Moraes' first goal. Yeah, it, it really was something to be seen. And it wasn't even just the goal. It wasn't just the pa- pass from Hada. I mean, it was Gilbert through the entire, you know, pattern of play to lead up for the Wesley goal. You know, there was a quick free kick taken by Jack Grealish. Uh, uh, Gilbert was just kind of walking along until he realized Jack wanted to make it a, a quick free kick, a quick opportunity. Uh, so Jack passed the ball to Gilbert. Uh, he finds Hada in some space. But the thing that impressed me the most is as soon as Hada receives that ball from Gilbert, Gilbert takes off straight at the fullback that's supposed to be covering uh, Hada. Uh, so in that event, the entire back four of Everton started moving backwards very, very quickly. So that gave Hada a little bit of time to operate on the ball and see what he wanted to do. Uh, he takes a touch, goes forward a little bit, a really, really nice through ball. I mean, it was, it was a little unfortunate for Mina back there for Everton. He wasn't able to get his foot down in time to stop the ball. He actually tried to slide to get it. Completely misses it by mere inches. Uh, goes right into Wesley. Wesley takes a shot at it. Bottom right-hand corner of the net. At uh, Villa Park went absolutely insane. And, that, and that's that's what you needed. You need your big-time striker that you just paid a lot of money for you know, to get on the score sheet. There was a lot said about Wesley in the past couple of weeks is he's going to be the man for the job. But for me, and I think for a lot of other people after, you know, his goal against Everton, it's just a matter of time. You're still going to have to practice some patience. I, I, I still think it's going to be a little bit until we see his best form. But, you know, his performance against Everton was definitely a positive sign. I think I think with Wesley, it can't be, 
you know, you've got to judge him on a game by game basis. There might be a game where he he scores a hat trick, he scores two goals, and has an absolute like blinder of a game. There might be a game where he touches the ball twice. You know, I, you, I think for, especially for his first season, you, you've got to take it on a game by game basis. Um, but you know, after Wesley's goal, Villa continued to look menacing, but they they didn't really have a lion's share of possession. Um, Everton, you know, kept pushing. Um, something we've seen uh, across the the three Premier League games so far is that Villa can handle pressure really well, considering the attacking options that their their uh, opposition have. They really do, and it's not even about just like being lucky when they're under pressure it seems like they're more absorbing the pressure instead of dealing with it. And the difference between that is when you absorb the pressure, it just seems like you're calm and collected and okay, you know, our opposition's having a spell of play in our own half. What can we do to stop this? You know, how do we clear the ball or how do we slow play down? So, you know, we can get back to business and, you know, trying to advance the ball into, you know, their third of the pitch. And then there's the whole thing of, of just looking panicky and things not really working and you don't know how to stop the opposition villa looks the opposite way they look like the first way i was talking where they're absorbing it and they're okay with dealing with you know i mean there was even points in the everton game where there was there was 15 minutes or so that would go by villa didn't touch the ball you know and they were in their own half and they just looked okay with it and it wasn't you know they had the passion to try to get the ball clear and they had you know the tactical know-how to know what areas of the pitch everton were trying to work around but if that, if this is the way like the defense is going to be set up for Aston Villa, first year back in the Premier League, all those things considered, I don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, I, I guess it, it depends who you ask, really. But for me, like I, I think that's just fine, and that, that's going to get us, you know, some points on its own by being having that coolness and that calmness and that tactical awareness. I mean, what about you? Is that your brand of football? You know, on the back line, to like to, to you, um, would you rather see the team absorb things other than looking like frantic, panicky, and you know all that kind of thing, and just eventually hoofing the ball forward? I, I don't know. For me, it just seems like that's something that Dean Smith wants to do, and maybe even John Terry. I, I don't know if you've seen the the Black Panther film, but it, it kind of reminds me a bit like that. You know, his his suit like soaks up the pressure. Um, yeah, yeah, that's then, a good comparison for sure. Yeah, like soaks up the pressure, and then they use it to their advantage. Um, obviously, it, it, well, you know, Black Panther uses it as a counter attack, so it's the same for Villa. They soak up the pressure and then just burst, burst forward. Um, but I think I do think it really helps that you know we've got Dean Smith who has. Um, you know, been a defender at the lower levels of English football. We've got John Terry, who's played at the absolute elite level as a defender. Um, so we've got two very different mindsets of defensive uh, philosophy, I guess, and they combine well. Um, so you know, we we can defend against the likes of I don't know um, Crystal Palace, who we've got coming up against this weekend, who you know might play a different style of football to the likes of Manchester City. Um, you know, obviously we can't really state that until we see Villa play Manchester City. But you know, we can, we can, we can say that Terry will have an impact when we're playing those kind of teams, and Dean will have an impact when we're playing, you know, the likes of Palace and Brighton and so forth. Um, I mean, it's obviously interesting as well that Richard O'Kelly. I, I always thought he was a defensive coach as well, but he was actually a striker, um, and he's played. You know, during the the seventies and eighties, for the likes of Warsaw and Port Vale and Grimsby, so he's he's been around the football leagues and he can you know offer things to the likes of um, Wesley, Codger, Davis, etc., etc. 
Yeah, and I think Richard O'Kelly is a very um, underrated member of that coaching staff. You don't hear him get talked a lot because obviously Dino's, you know, the, the head coach, and then you have John Terry, who's the defensive coach, and both of those men come with a reputation. So I think a lot of people forget about Richard O'Kelly, but, you know, you're right in, the, in terms of he was a striker. He might not have been prolific. He might not have reached the heights that everyone dreams about reaching, but he's still going to be able to, on both sides of the ball, you know, tell strikers, hey, you know, look out for this. You need to clean up this a little bit. And then on the other side of the ball, he can go to defenders and say, hey, you know, this is what I tried to do. So look out for this or, hey, you know, through my experience, through looking at some of the data that we collected or, you know, some of the scouting we've done, watch out for this. This is how this guy likes to play. You know, people don't take that into consideration. You know, there will be strikers like during training sessions for Villa that their job is to mirror what how the other team plays. You know, you actually mirror their tendencies. You're actually going out on a training pitch and trying to mirror who your opposition is for your defensive line and and even vice versa. Your strikers going up how another team's defense likes to set up. That's a real thing. You know, that's that's a really big thing when it comes to the modern game of football is using the data available to you to to be able to um, just get better and and know more about your opposition you're facing on a week-to-week basis. And I think Richard O'Kelly can definitely be one of those kind of people that, you know, plays into that. And, you know, he has the know-how. And you see some of his interviews on YouTube. He's he's beautifully spoken. Like, the man man lives and breathes football, you can tell. I I just think he's an underrated part of the coaching staff. Yeah, and he he keeps having this kind of um, focus on the, the simple things. You know, if you if you can't do the simple things well, how can you expect to win a game of football? So I think it, I think he earths the likes of uh, Dean and John a little bit. Uh, sorry, not earths grounds is what the word I was looking for. Um, you, know, he, you know, they might try something you know absolutely spectacular in their in their uh, you know game plan, and then O'Kelly kind of brings the players back down to earth and says, right. You know, you're not going to be able to do what they're asking you until you get these right. And he's got such a focus on the simple necessities of football that is so important to the way that Villa play. Yeah, and not a lot of people, you know, want to really talk about that, but it is true. It's almost the same as in life as well. You know, you gotta you gotta start small. You know, if you have big aspirations or big dreams or you have a passion for something, you know, you know, naturally you're gonna want to dive in, you know, with both feet, and you're you're gonna want to, you know, try to do the best you possibly can. But sometimes it's it's a, a lot better to try the simple stuff first. Like if you can succeed at simple things, then that'll make the big big things seem not so big. And I think that's one of those things that. You know, O'Kelly talks about. We've heard Dean Smith talk about it. We, um, you know, obviously John Terry. He he's said you know previously that he'll he'll take a player you know by the shoulder you know after a training session or before a training session, and be like, hey, I saw you you're doing this. Let's try to clean that up a little bit. Let's try to look at that from a different perspective. I, the, the coaching staff at Villa is definitely underrated. I mean, I just. We know what we have. It's just now it's about the, about the players buying into it, and it seems so far through you know the first uh, three games here that they're really buying in. Yeah, I mean, de- definitely. Um, but, you know, we, we we touched upon the, the defensive kind of output from, from Villa. And a key part of that in the last couple of games has been Bjorn Engels. Um, and he he blocked a, a shot off the line from uh, Calvert-Lewin, uh, Everton's lone forward for that game. Um, and, you know, he, he punched the air with his fist after he blocked the shot and shepherded the ball clear. Um you know that and that's something I kind of want to touch on. That is the the body long language from from some of these players. You know, um, Wesley's celebration for his goal. You know, he he looked you know so relieved, but also so almost like he was re- releasing some of his pent up anger. Um, you know, Engels and uh, Mings are so 
so happy to, you know, achieve defensive successes within the game. Uh, the same with Tom Heaton. Um, and, it, you know, it, it's something that kind of inspires the players around them. And, you know, we've, we've touched on this before, how psychology and body language play a huge part into football games. Um, and, you know, it's it's something that, that wasn't a part of Aston Villa, um, you know, within the last, you know, decade, because it was a, it was almost like a constant, consistent, um, downtrodden kind of mentality. And it's almost like now it's almost like we're David versus Goliath at the moment. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I mean, everybody that listens to the podcast knows I, I'm, I'm a little bit old fashioned with what I want to see from from players of any sport. Um, Bjorn Engel's clearing a ball. And then, you know, pumping his fist in here. The ball wasn't even out of his own third of the pitch. Let me just say that first. And he's he's getting back in his position. He, he punches the air and he's got this smile on his face. Like he's saying, yeah, yeah, um, you need that. That is that is, that just adds to the feel good story of Aston Villa. And just like you talked about David and Goliath, I really think that's what you're starting to see with some of these Villa players. Now, yeah, they know that, you know, maybe some of the heights of the Premier League table are a little uh, you know, hands off. And it's nice to think and, and, and to dream about that being, you know, a reality this season. I don't think it's going to, it's just my opinion, but back to the whole, you know, team mentality and the passion and all that kind of thing, you're seeing it from so many different players and that's going to, that's going to even get better and better and better as these new acquisitions start to gel a little bit more, not only with their chemistry on the pitch, but how they deal with each other and have relationships with each other off the pitch. It's a beautiful thing to see guys like Ingles and Mings, and even in some cases, Frederick Gilbert. Gilbert looked absolutely just elated at, at the Wesley goal. I mean, he was by himself on the right-hand side of the pitch. The goal goes in for Wesley. He turns around, and he's got two fists in the air, and you can tell that he's putting a lot of pressure on his fist, and he, he's happy and you know yelling and all that kind of stuff. You need that. You need that for a successful, not even football club, just a sports club, any sporting club. You need that kind of in-home atmosphere that this this is what we're going to do. This is our club. This is how we're going to go about our business. This is the mentality we need to do it. And it's it's only going to get better. It, it, from what we've seen, and, and from especially you were talking about yesteryear of Villa being so, you know, I mean, it was there was a few years it was depressing to follow Villa. And I, I can I can say that with 100% honesty, it was a little depressing. It was a little little sad because you know you, there there was no there was none of that. You just had over overpaid footballers basically. They were just there to collect a paycheck and didn't seem like they really cared about what was going on with the team. Now we're in 2019 and that's completely the opposite. Everyone seems like they're very very happy and very proud to play for Aston Villa and long may it continue. Yeah, you, you mentioned the um, the Gilbert celebration for Wesley's goal. And and you know how relationships play into you know the the squad and the team. Um, I've seen a couple of pictures of Tom Heaton celebrating Wesley's goal as if he'd scored them. You know he's he's got his arms outstretched, almost like he's running like you know towards you know, you know an outstretched arm or anything like that. But he he looks so elated at the fact that Wesley scored, and it's that kind of you know you, you can't really imagine that Tom Heaton and Wesley probably speak much. Um, other than you know him saying something about about a shot that he might have saved in training or something like that, but you know there was a real kind of camaraderie, even though they were on opposite ends of the pitch. Right, it might have something to do with the fact that Wesley probably put, puts about twenty to thirty past him every training session. He was like, finally scoring on somebody else and not me or Jed. 
<laughs> might, might have a little something to do with it. He's like, thank thank the Lord this, this, this man finally can find one in the back of the net. I'm, I'm tired of him only talking junk to me. You know, I mean, it's, it's a possibility. It, it happens that way, especially with keepers. But Tom Heaton, he, he's an experienced professional footballer, and, a, a, you know, he's he's going to be happy. I mean, this is – I think he's looking at this more as an opportunity to have maybe more of the heights of his career – right now for his age and his ability. Um, and it's no disrespect to Burnley. Burnley's a great club. And, you know, Tom Heaton, you know, he had a great, great time there, club captain, the whole nine yards. But for at Villa, maybe maybe that's why Heaton was okay with coming to Villa. He knows obviously knows the size of the club. He knows what Villa was building. I mean, you'd have to be living under three or four different sets of rocks to not know how much money that Villa spent. He knows it's an exciting time and wants to be around it. So you have your goalkeeper, you know, celebrating a goal for someone who, you know, has kind of been getting slagged off the past week it's a beautiful thing that that that's that is the definition of the atmosphere in aston villa right now and it's plain to see even from a, a supporter's mindset i'm i'm not a villa park i'm not at that training pitch i i have no idea i've you know only been around these guys very very shortly in in minnesota and you know it was 15 20 feet away from them but the fact of the matter is if it's evident for me 33 you know you know, three thousand three hundred eighty miles or whatever it is away it's got to be true it for that's it, it, just the way it's got to be I want to ask you how how are you feeling now that Villa have not only got their first win of the season but also got their first clean sheet of the season? I I'm really happy about it, and like I said earlier with the Everton result, um, I don't think that the defense is going to ever look super super staunch this season. But as long as they're going to follow that bend but not break kind of thing, I'm 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 totally okay with it. Uh, the clean sheet's massive because it's only going to give the defense more. Um, I guess just the, the solidifying feeling of, Hey boys, we can really do this. You know, a little bit more confidence, um, wanting to get better every, every single time they go out on the pitch together. So I love that. I love the fact that Wesley scored. Um, I, I don't know, man. Like I've, I've watched the game back. I think I watched it twice all the way through and it's just the atmosphere and atmosphere at Villa park. It seemed like the supporters didn't stop singing for 95, 96 minutes or whatever it was. And it's just something there. I think that we're starting to see the makings of something special go along. Again, I personally don't feel it's going to be the heights of the heights of the Premier League table, but I think this is the beginning of a really, really amazing story for Aston Villa Football Club. Yeah, and you know, there was such a buzz around the club, and Villa fans only had to wait four days to see Villa playing again. Um, they played Crew Alexandra in the Carabao Cup. Um, you know, the likes of Esri Concer, Courtney Hawes. Marvellous Nagamba, Henry Lansbury and Kim Davis all got their first uh, starts of the season in a competitive game. Um, the captain's armband was worn by Ahmed El Mohamedi and the bench saw um, a couple of surprise inclusions. Uh, Oyen Nealand returned to the fray after his lengthy injury. Um, Tisha Bowler um, made a return from relative Villa obscurity. And um, youngster Jacob Ramsey made the bench. Well, Jacob Ramsey made the bench once more after his uh, couple of appearances on it last season. And uh, young striker Cameron Archer also found himself involved in the matchday squad. Yeah, and I, I like the fact that Dean Smith wasn't afraid to rotate. And I think everybody knows for Carabao Cup games or League Cup games, it's going to be one of those things that you have to, absolutely have to rotate. I was not expecting him to rotate to this extreme. 
but I do like it. I, I really liked seeing Ezra Kanta play. Courtney Horace is good to see him, you know, get some game time. Obviously, people want to know what's going on with Marvelous Nakam, but we talked about it on the last podcast. Dean Smith was just trying to get him a little bit more fitness with, you know, coming from Club Bruges over in Belgium. Um, Henry Lansbury looked a treat. Um, Keenan Davis, obviously, you know, I, I we're big fans of Keenan Davis. So you'll, I think you'll find with most of the uh, content creators of Aston Villa that we all love Keenan and we're all pulling for him. I think it's one of those kind of underdog stories that we can all get behind. Um, what did you think about El Mohamedy wearing the captain's armband? Do you think that was the right choice from Dean Smith? Um, I think so, yeah. He's, he's the one with the most experience of, of captain as well. You know, he captains the Egyptian national side. Um, but b- before... Um, Greg Evans from The Athletic announced that it was Al Mohamedi on Twitter. Um, I thought it was going to be Conor Horahan. Conor Horahan, sorry. Um, still getting used to that. Um, because he captained Barnsley. Um, so I thought perhaps we might have saw, might have seen, you know, it stick stick in the midfield um, and just make almost like a light flight replacement of captains with uh, Conor taking it from Jack. Um, but no, I think I think it was I think it was the right choice in retrospect. And once once Jack came on, the the captain armband, captain's armband swapped uh, over to him. Yeah, and it's it's good to see uh, uh, just the the players you know that were involved in everything they did in the game. I mean, the final score was six one, but you can only play who you're lined up against. You know, there was a, you know a lot of Villa fans are really excited about an emphatic victory. But, I mean, they should be. It, uh, supporters of other clubs won't know this, but Villa's kind of been cannon fodder in the League Cup for a long time. Uh, just crashing out in, in early rounds against teams that we just have no business losing to. I mean, I think Luton, it was Dan Bardell. Yeah, I was just about to say, our, our good friend Dan Bardell at the Villa View, you know, you know, coined the phrase, you know, oh, we're, we're doing going for a Burton. And that, that's how it was. You know, like you knew. You knew as soon as we were playing a team like... Burton Albion that you knew Villa wasn't going to win that game. It was going to be a one nil loss and no one was going to show up on the night. Um, but yeah, obviously, you know, it was a different story against crew. Um, I'm a little worried about the Matt target uh, injury a little bit. I mean, do, do you think that's, it's a cause for concern? Do you think that that might make Gilbert not play against crystal palace? Um, no, I think, I think target, I think I think Target has struggled for fitness because of his lack of game time, uh, probably. Um, I know Dean Smith said in his post-match interview that it was it was something that he did whilst passing the ball, rather than you know after a tackle or while running. So it shouldn't be too bad. But I think uh, I think Gilbert will will probably start. You know, I think El Mohamed and Gilbert played a similar amount of time. Um, really, in retrospect, you know, El Mohamed probably had. An extra twenty minutes, maybe, um, maybe actually, maybe a bit longer than that. But I think I think Gilbert will start, um, and I think we'll, you know we'll see Taylor retain his place. He's he's performed well so far uh, in the Premier League. But uh, I, I was really interested to see you know certain players stepping up in this game. You know, Ezri Concer opened the scoring, obviously. Um, and Conor Horahan, uh, Dean, Dean Smith made a comment saying that uh, he doesn't want any of his players to be happy at the fact they're not playing. He wants them to. He wants them to be unhappy, and um, he said that Conor is the first one to moan when he's not on the team sheet. You know, start in the starting eleven, um, and he's moaned 
for the two two games that he's been dropped. And Dean Smith said he loves that, and he's proven that he wants that starting spot with those two goals that he scored against Crew. And he always seems to come up trumps when you know his his positions at peril or in peril. Sorry, um, you know he always seems to come up trumps with the goals or the assists or you know something special when when his I guess livelihood is is at risk. Yeah, and for some some players, that's that's what motivates them. You know, it's the, it's the fear of losing their spot. Um, for some players, they react to it positively. Other players, they react to it negatively. And you know, if Dean Smith is, you know, thinking that pissing off Connor Harahan and you know by putting Douglas Louise in the game, maybe that's something that Dino's going to do a few times this season. And I, I'm sure that Dino's going to be okay with it. Connor, not so much. But that goes back to into the the mental aspect of coaching and knowing your players, knowing what ma- what makes them tick, knowing what makes them turn down. So in, in the case of Hirehane, I think that uh, I, I said in previous podcasts that I don't think he's going to get as much game time as maybe he expects, but that's okay. And maybe this is one of those reasons why it's okay. And Dean Smith knows that. Again, that's conjecture. I don't know that for a fact. But if if he's saying that Hirehane's the first one to moan when his name's not on in the starting eleven then that's that's just the way it's got to be. If he I mean again, you're you're playing Crew Alexandria, it's no disrespect to them, but Hirehane had a great game. You, you can't discount anything about what he did. His work rate was immense. Passing was great. Scored two goals. What what more can you want? I I would be a little surprised, not massively surprised, but a little surprised if he doesn't play against Crystal Palace. I I, I just 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 a small little shout for me. Do you think that that Jorge gets into to Crystal Palace, or do you think it's still the Luis show until further notice? I wouldn't be surprised if Harahan plays, um, but of course you've got, you've got to take into account that that Luis has to appear in eighty percent of our games, otherwise he's, he won't get a work permit for the next season. Right. Um, so you know it might be the case that we'll see Harahan subbed off or. Subbed on, you know, it, he will. I think he will be involved in some some way against Palace. Um, right. I think like the thing for me, like with Harahan, is like I think it's a really good option off the bench in the sixty to sixty fifth minute. And I know it sounds like I'm playing football manager here, but I think that his work rate is immense, and I think that, like you said, it's a little bit unpredictable what he can do, where what exactly he's going to. Uh, be good at on the day you know like sometimes it's his passing and sometimes it's his work rate sometimes he gets into advanced positions really well you know obviously he's he's you know one of the wild cards for set pieces and things of that nature so like i'm okay with him coming off of the bench but there are still those 100 purists that you know saw what he did in the championship and think that he's going to be able to replicate that week in and week out i'm not so sure i think that's why we brought in players like douglas louise and marvelous nakamba to bring that little bit of different aspect to the game so i I think off the bench i think that would really really work not even as a super sub just to come on and and see see how he does and it's usually pretty well yeah definitely um something i wanted to pick up on was was the the passing of of hotter um, you know, we saw it in pre-season. We saw it last night. Is his eye for a through ball is absolutely outstanding, and I don't know what it is really that makes oppositions not know how to handle him or the balls that he plays. But uh, if you rewatch the highlights from last night, the ball that he plays to Henry Lansbury is sublime, and Lansbury very unselfishly pulls the keeper out of his net and then plays a square ball across to Harrahan, who obviously fires home into an empty net. Um, 
but you know, Harrahan and Lansbury. Obviously, Lansbury had an absolute like worldy of a game. Three assists. He's really showing that he's not just the the sick note that everyone thinks he is. Um, but there were so many players that had had quality games. You know, uh, Gilbert probably didn't expect to get any minutes um, and ended up scoring uh, with a really really nice strike. Um, Lansbury played a short ball to him into the box from a corner and he just kind of like turns on a dime piece and just fires it towards the far post and it really really nice goal um, and you know the likes of Keenan Davis impressed and then you know Jack Grealish the talisman got in in the action too and Lansbury showcased his ability again with a really really nice uh, back heel pass into the path of Jack Grealish but it's it's good because it's filling these kind of um, out. Not, I don't want to call them outcasted, but the, the players on the outskirts, on the periphery of the the first team, um, it's going to fill them with confidence and you know hunger is the main thing. They're going to be hungry to try and get those Premier League minutes this season. I I think you're totally right, and you you need that. And like I I prefer to call them fringe players. You know, like they're on the fringe of maybe starting or on the fringe of working them their way in into an actual starting eleven. Yep. I, I Henry Lansbury's not a bad footballer. He's just not. He's not a bad footballer. He's never been a, a bad footballer. I think he's had a couple of seasons of injury woes. I think that he had other players come in that that he wasn't expecting to take his job. I you know there there's there's reasons why you see Lansbury come on at some points in time, and he looks like one of the better midfielders that Villa's had in quite a while, because I think he is, I think he just got, he gets beat out all the time because of guys like John McGinn and Jack Grealish. Um, I think he can play forward. I think his passing is really, really on, on a different level to what some of the things that John McGinn can do. And it's not an all come again before anybody, you know, mentions me on Twitter and says that I'm, I'm talking smack on him again. I'm not. I just think that Lansbury thinks about the game in a little bit different way. Uh, you know, John, John McGinn's kind of more like a pit bull. Lansbury's more like a you know a cocker spaniel. He's more looking, you know, he's looking around like what's really going on. How do I help this situation? And John McGinn's just one hundred and fifty thousand miles per hour trying trying to get the ball back and doing what he does best. So I, I think Lansbury definitely has a place in the squad. I don't want to say it's a starting eleven, but like I'm not going to be mad to see him on the bench, especially if if he's doing if he's coming off of the bench, you know, against Crystal Palace coming up at the weekend. I mean, he had three assists in one game. It, it doesn't matter if you're playing Crew, you're playing Man City. That's that's impressive. Three assists are impressive, no matter who you're playing. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think you know as as well. Is it, I I kind of expected. Um, Jack not to play. I thought that Jacob Ramsey might have got the game time, but Cameron Archer um, made his senior debut for Aston Villa. Uh, he wore the number fifty-one shirt, which is something that I, I really, really liked for some reason. Um, I really like obscure squad numbers, and I know I know Dan Dan Bardell's going to have uh, that in his uh, in his memory bank for when oh, uh, he's going to freak out. Tom, Tom Julian's going to ask him. Uh, yeah, in the next couple it, of months, who 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 wore the fifty one shirt uh, in in the twenty nineteen twenty twenty season? And he's going to have to think, oh bloody hell, who was it? Yeah, I think he's going to be angry that both me and you like the really really obscure ones because I'm I'm the same way. I, I'm not a traditionalist in, in the terms of the squad numbers having to be the same exact thing for every team and all that kind of nonsense. Uh, for me, like I like really really strange numbers, but I mean. 
obviously that's very American of me because we have so many, <laughs> so many different leagues and so many different players. It's it's basically just like throw a dart at a board. Hey, that's your number now. Yeah, but I mean Cam- Cameron Archer, um, he looked he didn't look out of his depth uh, when he was playing. Um, I know he came through the the Warsaw Academy at the age of six, so he he's not he's not a bad player. Um, well, I don't think he came out of the the Warsaw Academy. He was picked up from the Warsaw Academy at the age of six. Um, but he, you know, he had a shot on goal, which was saved. Um, but he was vital in um, in Jack's goal. He won the ball back from some lax days of called defending from Crew, and um, you know he he pressed well. And I, I was impressed with the the brief, you know, ten minute showing that he, he had. Um, but how much of an emphasis do you think that we can kind of place on youth now we're back in the Premier League? It's going to be a lot tougher, especially um, I think you saw how difficult it was going to be when Villa let go a couple of their youth prospects this was it this past summer. Yeah. Yeah, this past summer they, they let go a lot of really, really promising youth aspects. And these are players that me and Regan both thought were going to, were going to make the next step up regardless of what league we were in. I think you can see youth come through the ranks a lot more in the championship with how many extra games there are. And if you happen to make even a mid-range to deep cup run, you can allow yourself um, to rotate the youth in, even if it's just for a half hour or less, just to see what they can do, what they can bring. In the Premier League, it's going to be a little bit different. And I like the fact that Dean Smith has always said he, he loves youth. And if you look at his previous managerial posts, that's what he's done, and he's done it to great success. Um, I think at Aston Villa, it's going to be a couple years until we really see that because it's almost like we have to restock and reblood our youth system um, with the amount of, you know, quote unquote, up and coming stars we had that turned out to be, you know, not good enough for one reason or the other. We went a different way. We've got a new, you know, uh, maybe director for the, the younger guys and whatnot, um, which is tough for a lot of players. You know, you put, you, you graft and you do what you got to do to try and get to the first team and it doesn't work out. Um, you know, luckily these guys are younger, so they'll be able to apply their trade elsewhere. I just think in the Premier League, Dean Smith knows that I just don't think you see Cameron Archer on the bench at any point in time in the Premier League unless it's, you know, I don't know, we're safety, you know, we have safety, we're not getting relegated with three or four games to go. Okay, you know, Cameron Archer's had a really good season. It's March, let's throw him on the bench or start him just to, just to see how he, how he does. But I, I think it's a lot more difficult in the Premier League. Uh, do you agree or do you think that you might see some of the youngsters this season? I agree, but, you know, uh, I think it depends, you know, Jack, it, I, I, think, well, I think it depends on the talent. Jack came through when we were in the Premier League. Uh, Andre came through when we were in the Premier League. Um, and they, they did they did all right. They weren't great, but they they they've grown into their roles. Obviously, Andre's now at loan uh, Preston, but that they they grew into their their positions um, in the squad. And you know, Jack was used as a left winger for for a lot of his early, early games, and now he's you know he's a central midfielder. So y- you'll see you'll see changes over the next couple of years, and you'll see. Maybe more of an emphasis on the likes of Callum O'Hare or Cameron Archer or Tyree Croyt and any of the the young villains that that are potentially considered good enough to to make the grade. Um, but really, like ninety percent of youth players don't make the grade in top flight football. 
Yeah, and it's tough, especially for a head coach who always says and has demonstrated in his career that that's what he wants to do. He wants to bring uh, young players through the ranks. You know, but the fact of the matter is, if you're in the Premier League and you just got the Premier League from a three-year absence, you have to balance the risk and the reward. Um, yeah, we'd all like to see, you know, what Villa has as far as, as far as the youth academy goes and, you know, some players like Archer. Um, but I just I just don't think – I agree with you on the fact that I think you're going to see it's going to be a couple years until Dean Smith feels really, really comfortable and see what he can get through the door there and see what's up and coming. I mean, Villa are making – in the past year, almost two seasons now, they'll, they'll make these little signings of, of younger players that are kind of under the radar and give contracts to, you know, names, familiar names that we've heard of before but never really saw what they do unless you go to the uh, under-23s. So I, I think it's, one, it's definitely a case of – Villa has more to worry about right now than trying to bring in the youth. I mean, we just spent all that crazy amount of money. Let's see what these guys can do before we worry about it. But I would like to see Villa get back to the point of having a very, very solid under 23, under 21, under 18, you know, squad assembled. I, I just think that that's the way that Dean Smith wants to do it. And hopefully he'll be able to, in the next couple of seasons, get to that point again. Yeah, and I, I think that's the plan, um, judging by some of the changes that are happening at the club, especially with all the recruitment from uh, West Bromwich Albion's you've set up. Um, but let's let's move away from that, and let's, let's move towards the, the big thing uh, at the moment, and that's the next game for Villa. Um, it's away at Crystal Palace at Selhurst Park, um, and they, they drew to Colchester in the... Second round of the Carabao Cup, um, and lost to Colchester United on penalties, um, and that's coming after the the late heroics of Patrick Van Arnholt against Manchester United, which saw them take all three points. Um, much like Villa, Palace have only won one in their first three, um, but th- there's some really interesting statistics that have have come out from 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 some of their games. Yeah, I did a little bit of stat digging about um, Crystal Palace and what their players are capable of and their passing success rate. And all around the shop, I spent probably about three or four hours. Uh, so there's a couple stats from some of their bigger players. We're going to see, uh, you know, Christian Benteke. It's going to happen. He does play for Palace. You're also going to see Ayu. He plays for Palace as well. Um, Benteke is a shell of the striker he used to be. Now, I know Villa supporters go look back on him with a little bit of rose-tinted glasses. Was he prolific at Villa? Of course he was for a couple seasons, albeit they weren't. The, it wasn't the best time to play at Aston Villa for anybody. Benteke single-handedly kept us in the, in the league for you know a couple seasons. We all know that. But Benteke is not very good at Crystal Palace these days. Um, so far in the three games that Crystal Palace has played, Benteke has lost possession of the ball 28 times. I've looked at all 28 instances of this happening, and maybe four or five of them aren't really losing possession as much as it is like a bad touch or something like that. So we'll say anywhere between 20, 23 and 28 times Benteke has actually lost possession of the ball. That is an outrageous amount for any striker to be giving up the ball, especially, you know, I mean, it, it's not just like he's picking it up in the defensive area. Benteke still just like how you remember him here. He just stays up at the top of the pitch. He just stays up at the top. He waits for a, a counter attack to break. Uh, also, Jordan Ayew, you know, plays for Palace as well. Um, he lost the ball 11 times alone against Manchester United. So that's another thing that, you know, Dean Smith and this coaching staff got to know that these guys are susceptible to losing the ball, and that's going to play right in the Villa's hands, in my opinion, as far as the quick counterattacks and things like that. Another dangerman for Palace that a lot of people know of, he, he was in the news a lot as far as the transfer this past uh, summer, was Wilfred Zaha. 
obviously a really good talent. Uh, sometimes he plays on the right for Crystal Palace. Sometimes he plays as a center forward. So far this season, he's been playing more as a winger. Um, he hasn't had the best start to this season. He's only won 44% of his duels. He's got a 76% passing accuracy. For a winger, that's not good. You want it at least 80 to 83. I mean, especially for a talent like Zaha, who's trying to get the ball forward to a Benteke, to an IU. It's just not good enough so far for him. So maybe that's something Villa can capitalize on. He's also lost possession of the ball 16 times in his own half alone, which means he's probably trying to get in the duels one-on-one with players, and they're just shutting them down. Um, so by the numbers, by and large, if you really look at it, Taylor and Mings have a little bit of a job to do with Zaha. But I mean, Regan, we're lo- I, I mean, you know, I'm a big stack guy. You're looking at the numbers. I mean, you just heard my spiel about it. What What do you think? Do you think Zaha is actually a danger man? Do you think Benteke has any kind of impact on this game? What are you thinking going in the Crystal Palace? I think Zaha is suffering with a bit of a case of the Butlands at the moment. Um, you know, he, he's had this massive transfer speculation across the summer. And it's really affected his psyche, and in, 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 in it's affected his football. Um, I think I think Hodgson and Palace have their work quite for them, uh, really against Villa. And I can't see any other result other than a Villa win. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking the same thing. And the more I look at, like, it's just you don't know what's going to happen. Obviously, like you know, going into the Bournemouth game, I was so so optimistic, and you know, you can't uh, you can't account for certain things happening in the game. You know, but for against a team like Crystal Palace, and yeah, they did have that shock win, Patrick Van Aanholt, you know, last last kick of the ball, basically, you know, to give them three points against United. It's a little bit fluky for me. And, you know, United's got their own problems going on and whatnot. I'm not here to talk about United, but I just don't think Palace measures up to Villa. Um, you know, other than Zaha, Benteke, Ayu, I mean, they have a decent midfield. It's not a great midfield. Uh, I just don't know, man. Like, I don't know how someone thinks that Palace beats Villa in this instance. I know it's only three games in. The statistics might be a little skewed because it's only a small sample size and everything. But, I mean, man, Zaha only went in 44% of his duels. That, that's a little embarrassing for a quote-unquote prolific winger. You know, so I, I don't know. I just I don't see any possibility that Villa lose this game instead of the unmentionables and the stuff that you can't really see happening. Yeah, and I think, I think Palace have got a couple of knocks that they're suffering with as well. Um, I think I think it's Van Arnholt, Schlupp, and someone else who I can't think. It might be McCarthy. Um, but I read for a, a piece from our friends over at uh, Hopkin Looking to Curl one, the, the Crystal Palace blog, who we've spoken to on a few occasions in regards to the likes of like Yannick Balassi last season and stuff like that. Uh, and I read a piece by them, and Hodgson had said that there was a couple of, of knocks for their Colchester United game. Um so, you know, that, that plays into Aston Villa's favor as well. Yeah, it's just got to be one of those things that Villa's got to, as soon as kickoff happens, they, they have to have the tempo up and just go at them. And I, I, I'm not calling for an emphatic 6-1 win like we saw against Crew, but I can definitely see Villa putting, I, I, I think they're going to put at least two in the back of the net. And if Palace can find a way to maybe stop what Villa has been, you know, building up to doing it in the past three games, and then, you know, obviously the game against Crew, if, if, if they're going to stop that momentum, I'd, I'd be very surprised. But I mean, again, I'm just I'm being a little optimistic due to the stats, due to how, what Villas looked like in the past couple of weeks, what Palace has looked like in the past couple of weeks. So I, I really do. I, I I mean, my prediction, I'm going to go three nil Villa. I think I, I think that's the, the the Palace team isn't good, and it's not no disrespect to him. I just I don't know how they're going to deal with some of the trickery and guile and physical ability of Villa. I I don't know how they're going to deal with it. I. Uh, 
I'm inclined to agree with you in in terms of your prediction, Mark. Um, but let's move away from the men's team. We, we do this every podcast. Um, let's discuss the Aston Villa women. They've staged their second comeback in as many weeks against the London City Lionesses. Um, you know they found themselves leading in the tenth minute after a goal from Amy West, which was a stellar shot. Um, but at the same time, it really should have been handled well by the London City goalkeeper. Um, they brought one back in the 29th minute as former villain Elisabetta Elupi, or UP, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce her name, um, found the back of a net from an indirect free kick. Um, the, the two sides went in uh, one apiece at half-time. Um, and then Elisabetta then... Found the net again five or six minutes after the, the, the start of the second half. And, you know, for, for the second time in two games, Villa were, were trailing and trying to find a way back into the game. Um, and they, they did. Uh, a wonderful through ball from Marissa Ewers found uh, Natalie Haig, and the, that brought the scores level. And then um, we saw super substitute Sharnia Hales, who I, I, I believe was signed from Birmingham City Women. Um, on a, I think it was a free transfer, um, but she'd she'd come through our um, development academy, so she'd she she's fully aware of what being a player for Aston Villa women means, and she found the back of the net with a powerful left footed shot, and the ladies managed to keep the score at three two until the final whistle, and really you you can't find a better advertisement for women's football in the Midlands. Or for Villa women than their first two games of the season. No, you can't. And I, again, like you know, the goal that that wins it for the Villa women, you know, you know, Shawnee Hale, she came on. I think it was the fifty fourth or fifty sixth minute. I th- I think it was. Um, so yeah, it was kind of like a scramble in the box a little bit. She just found the ball at her feet, but she absolutely crushed the ball in the back of the net. Um, the, all, all the Villa women were going crazy on on the pitch. I mean, it looked for a while that that, that they weren't going to be able to pull this off. Uh, so it, it, you know, it's uh, like you said, you can't not buy another, uh, a better advertisement rather for women's football in the Midlands in England, in the States. I mean, this, this team, even though it's only two games, they're playing really well and they're showing that they're not letting their heads drop whenever they go down in the game. Uh, you know, you can credit the coaching staff, you can credit the players, you can credit their personalities when it really comes down to it. That's not an easy thing to do. I mean, it's, it's just like in life when you get knocked down a little bit, you know, the first thing you want to do is stay there. Uh, these women don't seem like they have that in their locker. They seem like they st- still want to keep fighting and keep moving forward. Uh, so yeah, another, another comeback win. I hope they keep at it. Uh, it definitely, um, definitely made me feel a little bit like they, the Gemma Davies maybe might be doing a little bit more with the midfield areas of the pitch. Uh, I talked to a couple of people that were at the match, um, just watching the very, very small amounts of highlights I can find from uh, the Villa women's Twitter and from some of the supporters that were at the game. Uh, that midfield looked really strong. I actually got my hands on a 14, 15 minute clip from the uh, sidelines from someone who's at that game. Uh, so it looked like the midfield was really, really rocking and, and they were doing a, a lot of um, different things than we've seen in the preseason. So I hope that, you know, keeps up moving forward. It seemed to really confuse the opposition. So um, are you are you going to the next? Are you going to that game at Villa Park? Don't They're playing Blackburn Rovers in their next game at Villa Park. Are you going to that game? As far as I'm aware, yes. Um, I, I need to I need to speak to a couple of people, but I, I should be at that game. Uh, should be be able to provide a video highlights package and of course match report. Um, 
but obviously currently it's the international break uh, in the women's game and uh, Emily Syme, uh, a new arrival at Villa, uh, the Villa women, um, has been called up to the England under-21 team who played today. I'm not entirely sure what the score was, um, but I don't, I don't think she made an appearance. I think she was on the bench. But as you mentioned, Mark, um, the Villa women's next fixture, it, fixture is on September the 8th and it is at nowhere else but Villa Park against Blackburn Rovers. Um, if uh, you do ha- have a season ticket uh, for the men's side, you'll need to claim your free ticket online ahead of the fixture. Um, but supporters can also save money by buying online in advance of the fixture. I think tickets are priced at £5 for adults and £2 for concessions, so that's under-18s and pensioners. Um and if you want to go on the day, tickets will be priced at £7 for adults and £3 for concessions. I'm, I'm really excited you're going to Villa Park. I, I loved when you were uh, when you did the previous women's game you were able to go to with the video package and you know getting a couple quotes from uh, some of the Villa women. I, I think I, that's, that's under a gaslit lamp completely apart from a lot of other outlets that are talking about Villa. You know, it's, uh, especially for me being in the States, I was always taught from the Villa supporters when I first started supporting Villa that you know Villa's one big family. You got to be together, and, and in my mind that means all the way from you know, you have the disabled footballers, you have the walking footballers, you have the women's team, you have the men's team, the under 18s, under 23s, under 21s. It's all one Villa family. So if you can on September the 8th, please make it a point to go to Villa Park, support these women. They're, they are really good footballers, man. I'm telling you, I'm not just saying it because we cover the sport, you know, covering the women's game. I, I think that, you know, you, everyone listen, you have no idea what I would do to be able to go to Villa Park, even if it was just for a women's game. So I, I strongly urge anybody that's listening, if you have that day off or if you're able to go, please go support these women. They are really, really talented athletes. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I was kind of toying with the idea. I think it was yesterday. I, I was looking to see whether Villa sold uh, like women's kits. Uh, obviously not kits for females. I mean like the Aston Villa women kits with the um, FA Women's Championship badges. Uh, whether they offered you know name printing for the um, for, for the for the Villa women, and they don't, which is quite unfortunate. But I've decided that because I'm I'm getting all three kits this year, so I've decided that my my third kit will have a women's player on it. I'm yet to decide who, but I, I have decided that that's going to be the fact. And I understand why Villa don't offer it, because it's it's money at the end of the day. You know, they, it, I, I, couldn't, I can't really see like that many people doing it to make it worthwhile for the club, but it would be nice to have that as an option. No, you're totally right. I tweeted about this past week. Um, I'd really like to have a Jody Hutton shirt. I really would. And I'm, you know, even if they don't have like the lettering, I noticed the lettering was a little different for the uh, the women's kits. Um, I'll, I'll order a men's and I'll, I'll put number twelve Hutton on it as a customization. If I got to pay extra, that's fine. So I'm in the same boat with you. I understand why they don't have these readily available because you can only supply for as much as your demand. You don't know what the demand is, so you don't know what to supply. I get it. It's a, it's a business move. It's it's not you know being like oh the women's team doesn't matter. I highly doubt Villa thinks about it in that terms. It's just supply and demand. Let's see if this women's team grows a little bit as far as their popularity. I'm sure they will with, with the players they brought in. This, this team's very good. They got a really strong manager at the helm as well. But yeah, for me, I, I want a Jody Hutton shirt, Regan. I don't know why. I just think that I, I think that she's just 
I don't know, fantastic. I, I love the way she plays. I, I, it's just one of those players that I look at and I'm just like, oh, at any moment in time, she just has that unpredictability to, to pop one in the back of the net or make a tackle or she's sprinting her heart out. I, I love seeing that. So, yeah, I think I'm going to get a 12 hut whenever I get a whenever I get a chance. I can't wait to see that. And I think that's probably the best place to end this week's podcast. Um, thank you ever so much for listening once again it means a lot to us that you take the time to listen to our podcast as well as read our articles on underagaslitlamp.com if you've enjoyed it please leave a review or a like or subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to Um, if you do use Acast the last two, well all episodes are now available on Acast and are regularly uploaded to Acast now so I think we're on every platform available Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Villa Lamp on Facebook at uh, well forward slash under a gaslit lamp, Instagram at under a gaslit lamp, um, and keep our eyes uh, keep our eyes keep your eyes peeled on our social media channels in the next couple of weeks because we've got we've got a big announcement coming. Dun, dun, dun. Thanks for listening, guys. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys, and up the villa. <laughs>